The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads. Quit wondering why there's no lifeguard at the gene pool and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 258 with guest Sean Wilderman, recorded live Tuesday, July 24, 2007. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now, bring world-class .NET and SharePoint training on-site for your development team. Online at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who falls asleep by counting lines of code, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin, and I'm here with Richard Campbell. Hi, Richard. Hey, man, and I noticed now that you're about to leave, the weather's finally cleaned up in Vancouver. Yeah, well, we're on our way down to Seattle. We're going to hang out there for a couple of days, and then we're going to go to Kim Tripp's wedding. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I think we have to record something while we're down there. Well, that's definitely a side benefit of you know having parties like this, is that we get some good shows out of them. Uh, yeah, definitely. We didn't really grab anything while we were up here, although we got a chance to record our usual shows. Yeah, I had fun yeah. today. We did Richard and I did three shows Plus Mondays. Yep, it was kind of a crazy day. And we got a chance to pull a machine out of the rack. Cartman got a new hard drive today. Yeah, that was fun. Richard seriously has a problem when it comes to, uh, when it comes to gear. He what? has a, he has a server closet that's more like a data center in his office. It's just out of control. Do you still like the way we slid the rack out of the, out of the, dude? Uh, I'm closet. amazed. I'm just amazed. <laughs> He gets these railroad tracks out of the closet, and he sticks them down. They have supports on them. And then he pulls out the rack, and it has a bar on the other side of it that looks like a crane. And it just sort of slides right out onto these things. Now, imagine how heavy that rack must be. I figure about 800 pounds. That's like a piano is 800 pounds, dude. Only if you pick it up. All right. Well, let's start right away with Better Know Framework. Yay. We're playing our music proudly today. Love that, love that music. I'm getting used to it. Because our fans tell me to stop complaining about it. They like it. So if they <laughs> like it, I like it. Right. So what do you got? All right. So today's class is the background worker class, which is in system.componentModel. You love background worker. I do. You know why? They've simplified in .NET 2.0. They've simplified asynchronous calls, you know, things that you want to do in the background uh, that are atomic. And that is really the key to this one. It's not something that's reentrant multi-threaded, but it's just atomic. It's something like it's going to, you know, generate a report. It's going to do something that takes a lot of time that you don't want the user to say, please wait, but you do need to know when it's done. So the background worker class is perhaps most widely used uh, as the component, uh, the background worker component that's in the components uh, tab in the tools menu. Right. So if you're using the background worker in a component that's not in a Windows form, you can just instantiate it the regular old code way. But if you are doing this in a Windows forms application, uh, it's best that you use the component in the components tab. 
because that uh, sets the synchronizing object property automatically to form the form that it's on. And it'll use that to do a internal synchronization when it needs to switch threads. So uh, otherwise, you're going to have to set that property yourself. It actually saves you a bunch of work. Saves you a bunch of work. So the whole idea is that you run worker async and you can pass in arguments and then there's uh, an event um, to report progress and then there's a way to uh, get notification when you're done. And basically there's a work, a do work uh, event that happens on the background, for be- lack of a better word, background thread. Uh, so it's really cool. It's a great, easy way to take atomic things that you've written and just do them on an alternate thread, and especially cool for Windows Forms users. There it is, system.componentmodel.backgroundworker. Have fun, kids. And uh, Richard, you have an email. Yeah, you know, I've been going back through our listener mail, gleaning more show ideas as I'm getting ready to fill up our schedule right through the uh, the whole summer. And uh, I missed a mail that I came in around May. And, uh, well, you'll catch it as soon as I start describing it to you. Okay. It's uh, it's from Benjamin Nishke. And it says, Hi, Carl and Richard. I saw on your website that you're going to interview Frank Savage about XNA, and this will be a really exciting show for our game programmers. Anyway, I'm an XNA developer myself, and I've recently written a book called Professional XNA Game Programming. That's no a, kidding. That's a Rocks Press book. And, you know, I always love it when you have a book that actually is one author, you know, all about a particular topic. So that's his uh, book came out in April. You also read an email from me back in 2004 on your show. At the time, I had created the first commercial .NET game called Arena Wars. Since oh, then, yeah. I have created many other .NET games and got to be an MVP for DirectX. Wow, I remember Arena Wars. That was amazing. Yeah, so this is the same guy, Benjamin. I've also created a website called xnaprojects.net where I put all my XNA games and have also allowed users to submit their own. There's a my blog that has other information about XNA, screenshots, and videos as well. So that's xnaprojects.net, and it is full of XNA games. Like There's a whole community growing up around there, and Benjamin's sort of uh, deeply involved in that. Wow, that's great. Yeah, a great story, and thanks very much for your email, Benjamin. I'm sorry it sat in the bin for three months, but uh, very cool to see more stuff going on in XNA, and I think we're just about due for another XNA show. Yes, I think so. I'll see what I can do about that. All right, you do that. All right, Richard, let's bring on our guest, Sean Wildermuth. He's a Microsoft MVP for C Sharp and MCSD.net, and he's the founder of Wildermuth Consulting Services, LLC, a company that's dedicated to delivering architecture, mentoring, and software solutions in the Atlanta, Georgia area. Uh, he's also a speaker on the INETA Speakers Bureau and has appeared at several national conferences to speak on a variety of subjects. Sean's also the author of several books and has recently authored the Silverlight Appendix for the Chris Sells Ian Griffiths book, Programming WPF. Welcome, Sean. Thank you. Silverlight. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of love in the room for Silverlight because I know... <laughs> Carl's been slugging away at trying to get Silverlight working with DNR TV to his standards, which I would point out are extremely high. He wants everything flawless, the images to be perfect, the size to be great, the audio to be perfect. It's uh, not simple to get everything right. And I got to tell you, Sean, I spent the last 24 hours specifically messing with the Microsoft Windows Expression Media Encoder. How's that for a long name? And uh, I did find a way to compress Camtasia AVI files so that they look pretty good. And I think the key, if I could boil it down to one setting that does the most, is the video complexity slider bar. Most people would assume that you want to turn that up. But in fact, if you turn it down to zero, you get a better Camtasia picture. So we're going to be doing DNR TV as Silverlight very soon. That's nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm very impressed. Um, uh, I got to say that, you know, my first inclination when I started looking at how to do all this stuff was to go on the internet and find the blogs and, you know, find all the hidden secrets and stuff. But at, in the end, just 
running the encoder and messing around with it is all that I really needed to do. So I was impressed. Well, it's it's interesting because the uh, Silverlight that comes out of the encoder is a, a pretty well-formed project, which uh, I assumed that what was going to come out of the encoder was going to be a pretty black box for people, but uh, in fact, it's not. Yeah, you'd think there would be one right way, but I, I was just thinking about this while Carl was explaining the whole thing on the video complexity, that... DNR TV, because it's a screencast, because it's actually looking at the studio window and the code windows, is not complex video. This isn't the kind of detailed, like a movie that you would show. It's actually a relatively few number of colors, very clean lines. It makes sense that lowering the complexity would improve the crispness on that display. So yeah. I, I can't imagine having one video setting, one configuration mode that would work in all scenarios like that. Certainly. Yeah, very true. And uh, by complexity, I think they mean lots of movement because uh, you, you, I notice when you turn it up and you start typing fonts, the, the fonts get crisp after the fact. You know what I mean? Like the movement is captured and then they crisp up. So there's that, you know, that gooey font rendering stuff happening. So that's probably what they mean, but but yeah, just overall, I've I've been pretty impressed. Well, that's great. So what can we uh, what can we talk about? Well, it's interesting because Silverlight, when Mix came uh, came and went in uh, um, a couple months ago, I got a lot of feedback from people who had um, heard uh, some prominent people say things like, "Silverlight's going to change everything. The world has changed as we know it. Uh, we no longer need." variables or I don't know what exactly they meant by everything was changing but uh, um, uh, on the whole I'm a pessimist I'm a I'm the angry old man who wants you to get him get off his lawn and so my exposure to Silverlight um, has always been it's a it's a great new tool but I'm not convinced that it's changing everything not the be all and end all of anything well I had an interesting conversation with Scott Hanselman about this he he, he was banging his head when he, um, uh, before he joined Microsoft, which he did just recently. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's right. With cross browser issues. Well, and they were actually, you know, he was like, we were thinking about going to Flash or going to Silverlight so that we could just write it once and it work everywhere. And, and on the face of it, that seems very compelling, especially to, um, typical desktop developers that became ASP.NET developers. Ooh, I can just draw it and it'll work. But it's not that simple. To me, Silverlight really seems like the, the uh, right place to create set pieces. Um, I don't want to say that it's in the same way that we would use Flash today, um, but in some ways that's a good good example of how it's being used. Um, and the only way Flash is being used is as a, a client platform through the browser. Yeah. Well, not only client platform through the browser, but Flash is best used, in my opinion, when it is part of an overall website, not when it's the entire website. Oh, okay. And it's an important distinction to me to really get the idea of where Flash is really being used and does Silverlight truly fit this. Biggest concern I have with Silverlight is I think its primary strengths are serve the developer, not the user, because it uh, you know it looks it doesn't look that different from a user point of view. It only makes a difference where the developer is able to do so much more so easily. Absolutely. I, I think it's an interesting idea there because um, Silverlight, in a lot of ways, is saying, hey, you have your developers have these known skill sets, and if you want to get into the space that Flash is in or you need to use something like Flash, you no longer need to go get an outside consultant to build this little piece that, the, your developers then kind of stick on the page and and is thought of as an atomic unit. You can really integrate it end to end. So it, I, I think you're right on the money there. It's much more about developer productivity than it is about end user. Um, because if you look at what's happened the last three years, uh, especially with YouTube, but YouTube certainly was led um, by other you know drivers. Is that you know Flash has become the codex of the internet, right? And in in a lot of ways, you know, um, Silverlight is an attempt to um, say, 
ooh, you can do Flash now just like you could before, but you can now um, take those skills that you've been building in your environment, um, the managed languages, as well as any skills that you've built up with XAML, and you can continue to use them with Silverlight. And so that, that I think, breeds adoption across the Microsoft platform. i got to tell you, though, Sean, I've used Flash, and Flash is easy because... You know, there isn't a lot of entry points developer-wise. You just basically spit out this SWF, and you you know you add a couple of magic tags and uh, to your page, and you're done. The you know Silverlight encoder has got all these JavaScript files, the 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 XAML, the web config. You know, there's a lot more to it, I think. And so if Flash got so popular because of its ease of use, that certainly is still a really good reason to use Flash. Well, uh, agreed. The, 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 um, what I've heard from people that have tried both, and I'm not a guy that has used Flash, so uh, I speak in some ways with ignorance about this, but the people that have spent time with Flash is that from the designer perspective, Flash is a great tool. You can you. You do have that, that, that behavior where you can use their designers, right. you can create something, um, and you end up with a single file that you hand off to these web people to deploy for you. Uh, um, similar to the way movies are, are developed or video is developed. You know, you have people that go out and shoot it and cut it together and then someone drops it on a web server and someone can see it. Um, I think, the reason uh, Silverlight works better in the, than uh, Flash in that way is that when it comes to the developer space that wants to create something more interesting and interactive with the rest of their site, there are those hooks. Um, and I completely agree. And I think you'll find that that the deployment story is is more compelling when it comes to Silverlight One One when you get into the managed space because there aren't as many moving parts um, right now because the entire programming model is JavaScript. It's a little thrown together. I agree. And I think the listener's getting that sense that, you know, Flash is simple, but uh, sort of black boxy. Silverlight requires where, requires the attention to detail that a developer already has in order to get working and going and working with it at first, at least. And uh, then after that, of course, you're, what you have is .NET accessible code. So... Um, there is one thing that I really wanted to ask you, and that is, uh, and I know the question, the, I know the answer to this, but I want you to answer it for me anyway. Is .NET 3.0 required on the server in order to host Silverlight applications? Um, Microsoft isn't required on the server. Um, that, that's an important differentiation because everything you're deploying on the server are, are just going to be consumed by the client. And, and in the case of 1.0, everything you're putting on the server is, are just text files. So there's no requirement that IIS, ASP.NET, .NET of any sort is on the server. Well, I had such a hard time trying to get Silverlight hosted until I installed .NET 3.0 and then everything worked. And I know it's got to be in, you know, the little settings and things, the little MIME types and all of that stuff. But I didn't see any documentation anywhere that showed me how to set up a server uh, that doesn't have .NET 3.0 on it for to, to host Silverlight. It doesn't just work. Well, that's interesting because it has most to do with with um, um, IIS and MIME types. You're really on the, uh, um, on the right track there. The idea is that when you lock down a server, usually you're no, you know exactly the sort of um, content that you're delivering. And with Silverlight 1.0, the content type that it's not familiar with is the .xaml files. You know what, though, Sean? That was the first fix that I did, and that didn't work either. And I found the XAML type being uh, .xaml and the MIME type application uh, slash XAML plus XML, right? Added that. That didn't work either. So there was clearly something else going on. We don't need to debug my, my, my experience, but I just wanted to let people know that, you know, uh, there's some there's some extra things there that need to be fleshed out. 
the real challenge here, the weakness that Flash has got, I mean, those simple things, and I'm thinking about stuff like the Flash embedded player we've got on the .NET Rock site, those little nice nuggets of code, Flash does those fabulously well. I think the real struggle we've got with Flash is the whole action script thing, trying to build essentially a client server application with a long range connection with this totally different language. And I've got nothing bad to say about ActionScript per se, but it is a totally different language. It's a new language you need to learn. Why? How can .NET not be more compelling than that? Yeah, the, the big story around ActionScript to me is about reuse. I don't want to learn a language that I can't use in a number of places or uh, take the knowledge I already have and, 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 and expand it there. And that, that goes for, you know, it's not just C-sharp and VB.NET. It's for people coming to... Um, um, the DLR stuff as well. The, right, the root, the the Iron Python, Ruby, and Python and Ruby. And JavaScript. Yeah, right. So I mean, that's the real strength here is taking that centralized resources, all those uh, classes that you already know, and perhaps all that code that already exists, and being able to apply it into this new uh, platform, essentially this new web-based uh, client platform. Totally agree, Richard. Totally agree. That's that's the strength here. Is the ability to 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 play on the the stuff that we already know. The, there is some learning curve though, because the mini CLR is, or the more importantly, the mini BCL, um, the mini base class library, is missing a lot of stuff. And and for the most part, I think it's missing it for good reason. I mean, uh, you don't want to have you know a a, a .NET stack uh, running in the browser on a client for obvious reasons. So people are still going to have to learn how to do, uh, you know, client-side programming um, versus, oh, oh, if you go to Silverlight, you can take your WinForms apps and just make them WPF apps, and then you can kind of convert that to Silverlight. That's not a that's not a direct line as, as much as I think some people think it might be. Yeah, good point. The, and it reminds me of the compact framework when we started working with that. Absolutely. The question isn't what can you do. The question is what can't you do. Yeah. And that's going to define your constraints. I just haven't seen the Silverlight Showstopper. I mean, I love the video players and all of these other nuggets so far, but they're all they're still, all still playing into sort of Flash's strength. Playing video, will all well and fine, and I think they've done a great job of it. And it is better, but incrementally better. The breakthrough app, the one that's going to make my eyes bug out, is going to be that WPFE app with the zero deployment. It isn't there, really, um, to be honest with you, because there, to me, there is this overlap between uh, um, Click Once Deployed WPF apps and Silverlight, and um, I don't think Silverlight makes the Click Once WPF app go away. I think it's really about reach, and and frankly, I've seen a lot of you know there were there were there was a couple of uh, Eastern European um, attempts at using Silverlight to create a desktop OS, which were interesting, but they were heavy and slow. Um, what what kinds of things have you seen out there that that really turned your eyes, Sean? I I really haven't. Most of what I've seen for Silverlight um, could have been done in Flash just as well. To be perfectly honest with you, um, there are some interesting extensions to Silverlight 1.1 that people are, are doing, but none that I uh, have seen that have gone, oh, that's going to change the way things work. Um, and there have been a couple of attempts, especially by, a, I think it's a Czech company, but I'm not positive that's where they're at, where they've created a desktop OS using Silverlight. But really, I'm not... Um, of the opinion that the OS is going to be in the browser. Yeah, like, I, I uh, don't know how good an idea that is, but it's a heck of an <laughs> exercise. Yeah. Being able to do some very interesting, creative, visual things um, with Silverlight um, is cool, and I've seen some, some good examples, but because of the limitations of Silverlight, one of the big confusions about Silverlight is that WPF and Silverlight use the same XAML, I get that question a lot. Well, why? Why would you, you know, use one over the other? And in in fact, XAML, the XAML in Silverlight is a very abbreviated um, hmm. version of XAML. So there's a lot of tags in WPF that you just can't use in Silverlight. Absolutely. 
I think that's actually a benefit. One of the things that I've been I've been um, talking to a lot of people about and pushing as an idea is that for people that haven't experienced WPF yet, which is most everybody, yeah, um, Silverlight is a great introduction into XAML because the the grammar of the XAML in Silverlight is abbreviated enough that you can get your arms around it really very easily. And a lot of the things that most developers will look at with the XAML and go, well, where is this feature, this feature, this feature that I would really like? You move over to WPF after some exposure to Silverlight and you go, oh, I don't need to write my own templating engine and my own um, um, uh, theming engine and all these other things that would occur to me if Silverlight was the only version of XAML I'd ever, I'd ever seen. Right. All those so, things do exist. They just haven't all been implemented in Silverlight yet. Yeah. And I don't, I, and I, I sincerely hope they won't be. Really? Yeah, this is, this is the compelling part. Uh, there are parts of the silver, of the WPF stack that I certainly think will make it in and belong there. The control model, the, the templating support, they all belong there at some point. Um, but when you look at .NET 3.0, .NET 3.0 is about 30 megs for x86 and about 50 megs for x64 machines. A majority of that is WPF. Okay. It's not Indigo. It's not um, Workflow. It's not Cardspace. The majority is WPF. The the tech stack alone is, I think, a, a quarter of the uh, entire framework. And so the idea of taking a 30 meg install into the browser, I think will hurt adoption. So I don't want the entire grammar there. I want enough of the grammar that people can be expressive, but not um, to try to solve the other issues. Like data binding is one that I don't know how compelling it is for Silverlight. Some people think it's crucial for, for their certain needs, and some people think, well, you shouldn't be writing data, uh, um, data entry apps using Silverlight anyway, so why does it matter? Yeah, the prospect of binding to a data set at the browser makes me uncomfortable. Sure. Sure. That That's why I think I think a lot of this stuff is going to really react on who grabs Silverlight, how they use it, and what customer demands are made. I do really, really like this approach of we've started with something really small. We're trying to keep the plugin small, and we'll start adding things to the Silverlight runtime as it's needed instead of, frankly, what has more normally been the approach of Microsoft. Let's build it all and then hand it over and find out only 15% of it is used. Interesting. Did you say the text stack alone is 30% yeah. of WPF? Yeah. Text That's is in anything? Mostly because of the, that includes XPS and uh, um, the whole printing system. It's all interconnected. I see. WPF is quite young, and yet it's big. It's it's too rich. There's so much stuff. And I always get this sense, and I, I hear this from quite a few people, that a lot of this is just going to disappear as plumbing. We're going to get great tools like Blend that's going to take care of a lot of that plumbing for us. Well, yeah, but ultimately, you may need to write applications that get down that low to interact with it. Yeah, I, I think that the tool story is, you know, the important one. Uh, uh, Silverlight, along with um, WPF, the, the adoptions are going to be completely driven by the tools. And, and you know, my personal opinion is that CIDR isn't that tool. Blend is that tool. Blend is the tool for, for all of this. I think so, developer-like. I mean, I think that's why there's been such a big push to get Blend into MSDN licensing, which has happened at this point. Right. Because the perception is that Blend should be the tool to write WPF and Silverlight or XAML, really. And developers need access to that as well as designers. It's not, you know, Blend isn't a Photoshop. Blend is a, um, a WinForms designer. Yeah, yeah, it's really right. what it is. It's a forms designer. It's just that the forms engine is crazy powerful now. And yeah. I agree with you that it needed to be an MSD and it needed to be in the hands of developers. And I was surprised that Microsoft was initially resistant to that because I've never thought of Microsoft as a company willing to protect you from yourself. I always thought that the measure of a success of a product by Microsoft standards was how effectively you could hang yourself with it. 
I could see that. Well, yeah. you know, what did we... VB started off as a very safe environment to develop in and wasn't that successful when it was that safe. All we ever did was make it less and less safe and that's what we liked about it. The improvements we made made it more and more dangerous to develop in, more ways to destroy your machine with it, and we were happier. And Microsoft's always been willing to do that for us. <laughs> it really surprised me when they held back with... With Blend, it's like, what? What do you got against green on purple? That's what we were looking for. Well, Richard, you got to <laughs> remember, too, that they, they have a lot more marketing personnel now than they did in the VB days, who were more concerned about placement and, and you know, profiles and customers. and The need to appeal to the black turtleneck crowd. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I absolutely uh, am convinced that part of the strength of a great development tool no matter what it is, whether it's this designer's tools or it's the programming tools and so forth, is the ability of the developer to shoot themselves in the foot. In, in a lot of ways, yeah. Um, it's interesting, the the blend preview that they released at Mix that allows you to create Silverlight is an interesting uh, um, experience with blend because it is that safer version of blend that I think some people wanted. Um, but that's mostly because Silverlight doesn't allow you to do as much. Right. Although it didn't take Mark Miller long to come out with a session called Hacking Blend. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if Microsoft's not going to allow us to circumvent ourselves, we'll get a third party to do it. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think some of it was driven also to try to recoup some of the cost because Blend wasn't really based on another product, but some of the other expression tools weren't. You know, all of this at the end of the day for Microsoft, should be about selling server OS licenses. Yes, but, you know, that serves the server team, doesn't necessarily serve the blend team. Sure. But uh, yeah, I, get, I, I don't disagree with you. Ultimately, this is going to spread. The more apps we're able to build like this, and Microsoft's always worked this way, if the developers are happy, we sell more OS licenses because they can build more software. New York never sleeps, so why should you? Introducing Sleepless in New York, the ultimate SharePoint weekend, September 7th through 9th in New York City. Infusion Development, world-class Wall Street technology consultants and published SharePoint book authors wants to fly you to New York City free for the ultimate training weekend. They'll even put you up at a first-class hotel, though you probably won't see much of it. For two days and nights, you'll live SharePoint and Silverlight with training, collaboration, and even competition. You'll participate in lab-offs, which will test your speed and skills, ultimately deciding who moves on to the big mystery game show. The winner will receive Insomniac, the developer's computer that never sleeps. And trust me, it's awesome. You'll also be busy trading ideas with Microsoft MVPs and rubbing shoulders with Richard and me. Hey, if knowledge is power, we just offered you the mothership. Think you got what it takes? Apply now at infusion.com slash sleepless in NY. The deadline is Tuesday, August 14th to apply for Sleepless in New York, the ultimate SharePoint weekend, September 7th through 9th in New York City. Sean, can I ask you a question about uh, the Silverlight API and specifically about the audio stack? Do you have you had much uh, uh, poking around in the audio stack? Do you know what we have? We don't have a lot um, in the audio stack. Uh, we basically have uh, the ability to play MP3 files. I don't know if you can. Uh, um, play streamed audio at all, to be honest with you. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if you could, but I haven't looked at that. Um, there has, there is, um, that's what I'm looking for. There is a, a known limitation that they're sticking with Silverlight with only stereo sound. Um, so that even if stream support of a 5.1, they're downcasting it into a stereo stream. I seem to remember reading a blog where somebody... You know, a lot of people are pushing for 5.1, or somebody was telling us this. Maybe it was John Lamb, Richard? Yeah, I, I know I've seen that conversation as well, which means it's probably regional director related. It might be. But so. you, and, it, and, and I agree with the basic tenet. We need 5.1 if we're going to go to all the trouble of encoding stuff at 720p. But he, here, here is the thing that I don't think is very obvious to people from the outside. 
Right now, the Silverlight runtime is four megs, approximately. Right. That includes the entire ability to view video and audio. So there's no requirement to have um, media player already installed on a machine at all. Everything's inside the runtime. So that any support you have for adding um, different support for video and audio streams is going to start creeping up that runtime larger and larger. I don't mean to say that this particular feature is a, a bad one. I, I, I think 5.1 is an interesting idea. Um, it just doesn't seem the priority. Yeah. You know, that mentality definitely comes from people who aren't serious about audio. You know, some folks hear the quality of the sound in a much more detailed way than than others. And one of those guys is sitting not far away from me. Well, what's interesting is the 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 problem I have with it is we're talking about a web technology. We're not talking about um, showing it on my um, TV. You know, if I was going to download 5.1 surround sound and you know 1080i or 720p video, I wouldn't be displaying it in a browser window on my laptop. That's not the appropriate place. I, you know, I don't have 5.1 on my laptop. I don't. I don't think I care. I don't browse the web with my TV. Well, what about with WPF? What's the? You know, I haven't even looked at the audio stack in WPF proper. Do we have low-level audio like uh, ASIO level audio, or is there some low-level Microsoft API in there? I don't know because WPF relies on the. Um, Windows Media Player 10 stack um, to to actually do all of its rendering, which is different than Silverlight. So um, I would think that anything that's capable of being done in w, uh, in Windows Media Player 10 is capable in WPF, but I don't know how easy it is to get down into the hooks. It's just not the world I live in. So what are you doing with Silverlight? I know you, you do a lot of teaching. You've been teaching Silverlight? Yeah, I... I got um, into the Silverlight world um, because uh, um, Microsoft needed a class taught for internal folks, for the MSN folks and such, inside of Microsoft to teach them about what was then WPFE. Right. And so um, through Wintelect, actually, uh, we did a project where we built a three-day course and uh, taught it on campus to internal folks before it was released. And uh, that's kind of how I got you know, into the space. I've been in WPF before then, but but certainly uh, um, that was my first exposure there. And since then, I wrote the the appendix for the Chris Sells, Ian Griffiths WPF book. And uh, now in coordination with Dunn um, Training, we're doing a three-day uh, workshop around the country. Um, and so that's primarily, you know, my focus is trying to get people excited about it as well as uh, teaching people how it works kind of end-to-end. There's nothing like writing courseware to really get your head around a topic, too, like exploring every element of the product. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, one of the interesting things about, uh, you know, the way Silverlight works, for me, the, the thing that finally makes it compelling is the server story. And what I mean by that is being able to build um, dynamic XAML the way we build dynamic HTML today. And I don't mean DHTML. I mean ASP.NET. Right. That's a that's a more compelling thing that is just not open to me in Flash. If I wanted to build an infrastructure to to build parts of uh, XAML together to then display in the browser, there's no good way for me to do that in Flash today because it is so atomic. Yeah, you you'd have to compile the SWF and send it down. It just doesn't work that way. The declarative yeah, nature of XAML makes it so much easier to construct it on the fly. I try to make a point to students that uh, there's there's this connect between HTML and um, XAML. They're both markup languages. Right. They're both just text. And I actually show in the class and in a video that should be on Silverlight.net in the next probably month, um, I show using the ASP.NET engine to really build XAML pages and XAML controls the same way we do with HTML pages and controls. Um, that is quite compelling, and I think that's where the power of using the same 
skills we have as, as web developers to build XAML becomes really compelling because then we can build, you know, really rich, you know, you, you can think of a, you know, maybe on a website having a Silverlight app that um, displayed, you know, historical stock information. And instead of having to have all of that data inside the Silverlight on the client and then make web service calls up to get data and then lots of JavaScript or managed code to determine how to display it, it might be better to actually generate it on the server to where you're just passing down XAML. The server can use the facilities it has for caching and for um, um, some of the other ASP.NET tools um, to scale out the, the, the performance of, of, you know, the particular work you're, you're, short, you're doing. And that sort of thing is just, you know, completely outside of the realm of what is really easy to do in Flash today. It, it, it is just thinking a whole other level above the, the basic concepts of Flash. And, and to be fair, I've yet to see this actually done. I mean, there's no question we have the infrastructure now to make it possible. But I, I'm, I'm waiting for the app. I have not seen the, the showstopper app where you're just going to be blown away by how this works. I, I have talked to a number of people who are working on large apps, but I haven't see, seen them work, and I haven't seen their code, so I don't know how, how real they are, whether they're just talking, as, as often happens, happens in these cases. But I think you're going to start seeing some things, especially as 1.0 gets released. Yeah, we are, we are talking about a product that has still in beta completely, was only announced two months ago. You know, it's, it has not been a lot of time and the, and the amount of buzz is quite remarkable for how little time we're talking about. Absolutely. How's the reaction to the class? Um, I think it's so early. We're not getting as many signups as I'd like, frankly. And I think some of that has to do with how early it is in the cycle. We're the right. first class out. It, uh, we had, um, our first class scheduled only two months after mix. Wow. That's brave. Yeah. Like really fast. That was my first reaction too. You know, I, I've been dealing with this, you know, since back in September. So it hasn't felt that, uh, that quick to me, but I, th- I think that certainly the case, there's a lot of buzz around Silverlight. Um, and we actually just taught the course for some AEs and DEs inside of Microsoft. Um, which is, was a really interesting experience. Yeah, I find it fascinating that you're teaching Microsoft about their product. <laughs> when you get to, you know, when you get to the 60,000, 70,000 employee mark, it becomes, I think, a little more difficult to... <laughs> yeah, it's a slightly different dynamic in the company. I've got to think that even Microsoft employees are blown away by Silverlight. I think so, yeah. The reaction I've gotten from the employees has been pretty dramatic. Uh, when I taught the first course internally... I was speaking to some people in MSN games, and they were really excited about the idea of not having to necessarily use Flash for all the online games that they were developing. Yeah, you know, the guys at MSN games have got to be in a bit of a conflict of interest when considering the idea of building Flash-based games for a Microsoft website. Absolutely. So they must have been thrilled to death. They go, oh, thank goodness, our existing development skills... Our, our own platform, like the, the huge potential there. I could see that. You know, I would like to see Microsoft. Uh, they've been doing a better job with dog fooding Silverlight lately, but I'd like to see them do it a bit more. Um, I would like, frankly, for Soapbox to be using Silverlight. And what's but Soapbox me, for those who don't know? Oh, I'm sorry. Soapbox, which is uh, really Microsoft's version of YouTube, for lack of a better way of describing it. Right. It's a uh, community video sharing service. And it seems like the perfect proof of concept for what Silverlight can and should be doing. It's very interactive, um, not just showing the videos, but also the entire site is using Flash to do some very interactive, interesting things that Silverlight could do really well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it seems a shame that they waited that long to get those guys involved in... in uh Silverlight now they should those they should be first out the door with it so now that they're now that the product is almost ready it hasn't shipped yet I'm, I'm hopefully they're pounding away at implementing it across the board hey Sean here's something that I I don't know as if we've got an answer on yet but what is the story with Silverlight and client side uh, interoperability like can we write to the file system do we have 
Uh, I mean, we had code access security and .NET that didn't really seem to gain any traction. Um, interop with uh, com objects, is there anything like that in Silverlight? Not really, because Silverlight is still sandboxed, um, just like a non-Silverlight app is. But, and that's true for both Silverlight 1.0 and 1.1. So you're going to have limited access to the file system. And, and, and in a lot of ways, that's a good thing. Sure. <laughs> Uh, I'm looking for the mechanism. Are we using code access security anymore? Well, code access security definitely is is in play in the .NET 1.1 implementation. I'm sorry, in the Silverlight 1.1 implementation. Um, but they're also using, you know, um, the uh, base class library to limit some of that. The, there is a system I.O. in Silverlight 1.1, but... Um, it, the only thing it allows you to do is write to isolated storage. So the story is similar to the, you know, the kind of click once deployment story. That's, um, but I certainly see. not the same. The expectation is that people think of Silverlight much more like they would a typical web app and you don't want much interaction with the, with the, the client. You may be using it for personal settings or, or some small amount of storage, but certainly not real storage. Yeah, true isolated storage, I think, is about all you're going to allow. Silverlight to have in the foreseeable future. I mean, right now it's a confidence issue that anybody wanting to implement this and not see it as a virus is going to want to know there's a nice strong sandbox around it. And just to Absolutely. take that a little little further, we talked about uh, dynamic languages with John Lamb, and one of the things that came up was manage JavaScript on the client. Uh, and especially in conjunction with Silverlight, how does that how's that going to work? And what are the security well, implementations? Silverlight one one supports the DLR, and I'd, I'd like to talk, uh, you know, smartly about it. But I I'm just not in the DLR space much, so I can't talk um, all that well about it. But I can say that the DLR is fully supported in Silverlight one one, so you can write your apps with dynamic languages. Now, to the extent of how that works or how they can interact with the HTML page or taking your JavaScript and bringing it in uh, into that managed environment. Okay. I don't know those answers, unfortunately. Fair enough. I do get the sense that Silverlight, which obviously came out of WPF, has been grabbed onto by other teams now, and the DLR team is the most obvious one, but I'm sure there's a few other folks out there that are realizing the potential of the, the platform and bringing more languages uh, to play and more resources to play in that scenario. Sure. I think there was a confusion coming out of Mix that Silverlight and the DLR were intermingled in some way, and, and that's unfortunate. I've gone to a, a number of user groups and talked about Silverlight, and they were like, well, I'd, what if I don't want to use um, dynamic languages? I want to use the C-sharp or the VB skills I have, and, and trying to get that, uh, them across to them that they're not linked really at all. They're there's interoperability between them so that the the Python and Ruby people can come over, but it's not a requirement. It's been a bit more of a struggle than I expected it to be. I think the story coming out of Mix was was confused, certainly, for people, maybe people that weren't at Mix. but um, Well, and of course you think Ruby and Python when you think about web development languages, so the, the two sort of hang together in that respect. But, uh, yeah, sure. I agree that one of the huge strengths of Silverlight is the C-sharp-vb.net story. What do you think about the prospect that the CLR is showing up on other platforms? Are we at the forefront of the .NET framework on alternate platforms? I think that's certainly a possibility. Um, you know, we already have the CLR on other platforms, and we haven't seen much adoption. But that wasn't a CLR built by Microsoft. Right. So, so you know, I'm I'm kind of in the middle of the road. I certainly could see it having a lot of adoption in the Apple space. Um, but again, that doesn't represent a big enough market that I'm all that concerned about it. Uh, I think Apple's an interesting story because five percent of the market and fifty percent of the mind share. I, I don't quite get how that happens. Um, it's the black turtleneck guys. It is. <laughs> <laughs> that really John is. Hodgman. What more do you need? <laughs> the um, I. I I don't know whether you guys are familiar with Moonlight. Well, yeah, we heard about it from Miguel de Acaza. 
Yeah, we had Miguel yeah. on a few weeks ago, and he talked about how quickly they got uh, this implementation of Silverlight for Linux, essentially, and they called it Moonlight. I, I have not seen it working. I have seen videos, and I was very impressed at how much of it they they have gotten working. And I think I, I think there's certainly um, a great benefit if they actually get it working. You know, one of the problems with Mono has been typically its lag, and if it can actually come up with a Silverlight implementation somewhere around the one one time frame, that would be huge. Oh, yeah, incredible to be at that caught up. And, and admittedly, the libraries are smaller. This is not a tremendous amount of code. It's a few lines of code very well thought out. Right. And uh, certainly lends itself to this smaller team rapid development model. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, do you find that the horizontal scroll bar is the most annoying thing when you're trying to read that impossibly long line of code? Well, maybe a 19-inch LCD monitor would help. Telerik challenges you to explore their new reporting product and have a chance to give your workstation a facelift. A 19-inch NEC monitor could be yours if you answer a few easy multiple-choice questions about Telerik reporting. Just spend a few minutes and see how easily you can generate Windows, web, and PDF reports. Play with the drag-and-drop data binding. Experiment with Telerik's acclaimed CSS-like customization of reporting items. The reporting tool is fast, compact, and very easy to deploy with a mere X-copy. Even if you don't get top marks in the quiz, you can still be a winner. The modest score of seven correct answers out of 11 questions secures you a complimentary Telerik reporting developer license that you can use in your personal and professional projects. So go to Telerik.com and give it a try. It's fun, it's interesting, and it can get you a free license or a new monitor. So what is the... Typical developer experience of Silverlight. I mean, you, you mentioned that there's a version of Blend that came out at Mix that can uh, output to Silverlight. And then you have the Silverlight, or the, the I'm sorry, the Expression Media Encoder for video. Um, where do you start? Do you start with a project? Do you start in Blend and cr- let that create a project and then um, – click through to Visual Studio and hook up the projects the same way you do a, a WPF app? And does that give you an ASP.NET project and, or does it give you a control or what, what's the, take us through the steps for, for actually getting uh, to doing something with Silverlight and then deploying it. Sure. Let me talk about it separately between Silverlight 101 because the story is a bit different. And just to be just to be clear, Silverlight 1.0 is the one they uh, initially announced, and 1.1 is not out yet. Is that the deal, or 1.0 is the one that's quote unquote in beta right now, and that should have an RC in the next couple of weeks. I see. And will be released in you know soon. (laughs) Um, Silverlight 1.1 is officially an alpha, and I don't think we'll make a true release until sometime after Orcus, so okay. next year. Wow, that late. I thought there was rumors that 1.1 was going to make it by the fall, but I guess that's fair that it would be after Orcus, although I can't imagine that the Orcus team is going to have any chance to really do Silverlight integration, per se, uh, into Orcus. Well, there, yeah, there's there's not a, there's some actual Orcus Silverlight 1.1 integration um, already in the beta bits, so they ha- they have had you know, some success there. It's not a, a rich story, but it's a, um, uh, it's an interesting story All right, of so how the ASP.NET team has added some hooks. Okay, so take but, us back um, to let, the... Let's start from, yeah. kind of from the beginning so that we don't jump around too much. Um, typically, you would start with a Blend project. You design your user interface. And one of the things, if people aren't familiar with Blend, is that when you design something in Blend, you're actually dealing with the same assets as you would in Visual Studio. So you're creating project files um, as well as XAML and, and, and code files so that you're using the same assets you would in Visual Studio. And the um, point so you, being that you can open this in Visual Studio just as easily as you can open it in Blend. For the code part. Absolutely. Well, one of the interesting things about that interaction, both in WPF and in Silverlight, is that uh, you know you don't have that throwing it over the wall problem that you have with 
with designers today with web development. You know, oh, I have Photoshop files or I have HTML wireframes I'm going to give you. I'd like you to now, you know, import them into your ASP.NET project and figure out how to get them into your ASPX pages. Which is fine, and you get all the code attached up. It's when they have to go back to the designer that you're really in hell. Exactly. And that's that's where the benefit of Blend and Visual Studio talking the same language, you know, is great. I can take a Blend project, take it in Visual Studio and run it, or once I've hooked up a bunch of code in Visual Studio, I can open in Blend, and when I press F5, all that code is included. It isn't a separate designer or developer story. It's, they both they both have a lot of overlapping features in that way. So in Blend, are there different project types? Is there like a Silverlight project type? Is there a control? Is there an app? What what what, what do you actually create in Blend? Uh, Blend has a number of different project types, just like you would see in Visual Studio. Um, there are ones for WPF to create applications or control libraries. For Silverlight, there's really only two. There's a Silverlight 1.0 or it's what they're calling a Silverlight JavaScript project and then a Silverlight 1.1 or managed Silverlight project. Um, and they both create the same sort of structure, but obviously one is using managed code and one is using JavaScript. Okay. The experience in Blend of designing is the same for either, really. It's really only when you get into the code that it's different. Okay. So with one point with a 1.0 project, you create this uh, this project... There's a JavaScript files. There's probably a C sharp project or a VB project, which you can pull up into uh, Visual Studio, write the code behind it. Then, what are you left with, and how do you get that into a web page? Well, in Silverlight 1.0, um, there isn't a great story there. Um, typically, the way I instruct people to do it is actually to import the files or to link the files between projects into your ASP.NET project. Um, you you bring them in and then you host them on your web page by using the same sort of calls that the project created. Now, one of the interesting things there is that in in, in the Orcus time frame, there's a project out there called ASP.NET Futures, which includes a bunch of new ASP.NET functionality. One of those pieces is a ASP.NET control for showing Silverlight, basically, right. um, that is meant to make that process of dragging and dropping a serverlight control and then pointing it at a XAML and its script files a lot more designer-friendly. And what about web config? I mean, doesn't doesn't uh, Blend also write a web config? I know the encoder does. And how do you incorporate those critical pieces into your, your ASP.NET web config without, you know, munging the whole thing? Well, truth be known, the web config is there in both serverlight and the encoder, though, I say in the encoder with a little trepidation because I haven't looked at it as deeply. But certainly the Silverlight um, templates, the web config is there really to enable debugging. There's nothing in there that Silverlight uses. I see. Because, again, Silverlight's all run on the client, so the web config doesn't exist as far as it is concerned. So there, you don't have to merge your web config into your project at least for Silverlight, and I don't think for the encoder either. Okay, good enough. So the 1.1 story, though, is the managed code version of Silverlight, which you said, right? Right. And if you have a 1.1 project in Visual Studio, that maybe you started in Blend, there is a way to take your ASP.NET project and say, add a Silverlight link. What that essentially does is um, cause your binaries, your, your uh, assemblies, to be copied over into your ASP.NET project every time the Silverlight project is built as well as your XAML files automatically. So it's a little better story of of having kind of the Silverlight project as a member of your larger um, solution. And then as the project is built, those assets are brought into the main ASP.NET project more automatically. So with 1.1, you don't have the JS files, the JavaScript files that are needed for 1.0? You just have the uh, the assembly and the XAML. That's it, right? Well, you still have the Silverlight.js file, but um, that's the one JScript file you need in any case. So um, uh, whether that JavaScript file is eventually located on some Microsoft server or whether it's included once in your project, that's still going to be required. 
I see. So that's the code that injects it into the page and that knows about whether Silverlight is installed and helping people install it in place and things like that. I see. Because until Silverlight is installed, you can't run managed code, right? Right. It's kind of the bootstrap. And again, uh, on the server, uh, it'll be easier if you install .NET 3.0 because that'll set up all the the things that you need. But you, like what you're saying and what Microsoft is saying is you do not need any any – you don't even need a Microsoft server to host Silverlight. You do need, however, the right MIME types to be registered. To be honest, I'm not sure the specific things that – .NET 3.0 is doing that seem to have solved problems for you, because I haven't had that experience. Um, but the MIME type problem is certainly a common one. Do you have to restart the uh, the web server after you add a MIME type? But I didn't think you didn't have to do that. Do you know the answer to that, Richard? I, I To be honest, I don't think you do. Yeah, I don't think you do. Yeah, I don't either. Not to worry. That's getting into very specific things. You know what I can see is there's going to start being deployment kits for Silverlight onto third-party web servers like uh, Apache and, and so on, so that it becomes simpler to make those things work. It's not a trivial thing to take a fairly complicated infrastructure like this and support it properly on a variety of web servers. Well, there are also um, server hosting uh, places out there that already say we're Silverlight friendly, no right. problem. And that's probably because they've added it at the root. One of the interesting things that concerns people is in the Silverlight 1.1 story is the deployment of assemblies because you want to make sure and allow the assemblies to be deployed over the internet for Silverlight but not expose your your um, applications bin directory to users. So it becomes mapping the this special directory called um, client bin as the only thing that DLLs can be deployed from. Right. But Silverlight doesn't care that they're called DLLs, to be honest with you. They're just URLs to an assembly stream. So you could call them, you know, dot .silverlight for as far as it cares. I'm sorry, I got the giggles when you said assembly stream. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a, a funny concept to me that we'd be streaming assemblies. <laughs> but isn't that, you know, isn't that really what's happening? It's ex- you're exactly right. Now, you've described it correctly. That doesn't mean I'm not laughing about it. Like it's just amazing <laughs> where we've gotten to. They, I mean, yeah. talk about a dynamic app. I'm going to, I'm going to stream you my assembly. You're going to start running it before you've got it all. Sure, sure. I mean, in, in the same way, um, Silverlight doesn't care that the files are named XAML. It just cares that at the end of the URL is a XAML file. That the content is XAML. I mean, one of the things that I told people early on that were having problem with third-party hosters is, well, rename your XAML files .xml and it'll work. Right. Which, of course, it does because it, it is XML. It is actually it XML and it does have a validation schema. You can follow all those rules. We just gave it a different name so you'd know it was a particular kind. Yeah. And in, in fact, that's why, you know, using ASP.NET to generate XAML works because it doesn't care that it's called ASPX. It just cares that it's going to bring back a piece of text that is validatable as XAML. That's all right. it cares about. That's all that matters. Yeah. Well, Sean, we've talked about this for an hour. Really? Wow. Any any final words of wisdom that you can uh, tell people to look forward to or do or don't do or whatever? <laughs> I would certainly want to um, um, encourage people to take a look at Silverlight 1.0 and um, get their feet wet and especially... If people are wanting to learn more about XAML, if they've never been exposed to XAML, I still think that Silverlight is the best way to start learning XAML instead of jumping directly into WPF. I think it's it's an excellent way to learn the you know the relationships between the the, the different elements and the structure of XAML in general because it's such a an abbreviated palette. Well, I find it fascinating, your idea that this is the easiest way into WPF right now, that you can get your head around Silverlight and then transport those skills over to the full WPF implementation later. I agree. Yeah. And, of course, I want to uh, plug our Silverlight course. You can go to dunntraining.com uh, and register for it, but uh, that's not as much of a hint as it is a out-and-out commercial plug. <laughs> and that's well, okay. It's important. And it's important to point out the fact that, hey, you know what? You do not have to learn this all yourself. There are folks out there that will help you. And everybody knows Mark Dunn from the early days of .NET Rocks. So it's all, it's all family. It's all good. Um, there is one more question that I had, and, and it just came to me like Horseshack on Welcome Back, Cotter. I feel like I'm going to jump up and go, ooh, 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 ooh. 
But uh, and that is animation in Blend and in Silverlight. Obviously, Flash is really good at that. And we're talking about writing code with you know we we sort of have an answer to the action script story. But what about just like the designer for doing simple animations? Do we have that kind of stuff in Blend? Blend supports a rich story around animation. Um, it incorporates a, a a timeline designer that's very similar to the Flash timeline designer. Uh, the big difference is actually in the uh, underpinnings. If you're going to use Blend and you've used um, um, the Flash designer before, you're going to find the designing animations is very much the same. You're defining um, properties at certain points in time so that things are, are, are going to be um, um, interpolated between the, between the two points on the screen. Awesome. That's the sort of animation you're doing. What, what's more important is under the covers, because the animation scheme in um, Silverlight does not depend on keyframes exclusively like Flash does. So for people doing more interesting sorts of animations, Silverlight actually has a better animation model than Flash, believe it or not. Wow, that's great news. I didn't even know that. I mean, I knew that yeah. WPF, WPFE, whatever, Silverlight... We have the ability to do these primitives and things, but I didn't know that there was actually a tool um, that did the animation. So I'm very happy to hear that Blend does that. Yeah, Blend actually does a very good job job of it. So now we can actually look forward to a lot of stupid animations in Silverlight rather than in Flash. That's great. Like uh, Cows with Guns. Have you seen that one? I haven't. I'm a big <laughs> fan of Jib Jab, though. Jib Jab. Yeah, those were great, too. All right, well, let's get out of here. I know that uh, people got work to do. So thank you, Sean, (laughs) and uh, I hope to see you soon next time I'm in Atlanta visiting Mr. Dunn. And uh, thanks again. You're very welcome. All right, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter van.